You have to be very clear about what the NBA is going to do for you specifically. And when you do that, then you get very purposeful about which school that you choose. And for me, when I looked at all the different schools, the course that did it for me, the one that sold me on Sloan, was System Dynamics. Welcome to Sloanies Talking with Sloanies, a candid conversation with alumni and faculty about the MIT Sloan experience and how it influences what they're doing today. So, what does it mean to be a Sloney? Over the course of this podcast, you'll hear from guests who are making a difference in their community, including our own very important one here at Sloan. Hi, I'm your host, Christopher Reichert, and welcome to Sloanies Talking with Sloanies. My guest today is Jawad Asad, a 2014 MIT Sloan Executive MBA graduate. Welcome, Jawad. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Let's see, how do I describe uh, Jawad? Uh, in looking at your work trajectory, uh, there's a long initial period at GE lasting roughly 13 years, so very much in a big corporate environment, although within divisions, so maybe it didn't feel quite like that. And the roles you always had uh, had a finance lens, whether in financial planning, audits, uh, and moving into more senior roles as the chief financial officer for various divisions like aviation services and GE health services. Later at Market Track and Exxon, which I want to uh, circle back on, you continued with, with finance roles, CFO for both of them, but also a few other roles. Uh, at Exxon, you were responsible for leading the finance, corporate strategy, legal, and IT functions. And you were instrumental in helping grow Exxon's market cap from one billion to over thirteen billion, which is which is huge, and raised six hundred billion through two follow-on offerings, including a pre-IPO uh, from TASR to Exxon. I think it was uh, the call sign. Uh, later, you started to add board and advisory roles at Free Power uh, and Store Capital with executive components in some of those. And so, how am I doing so far in, in kind of describing your your professional background? Yeah, that it's uh, that's exactly right. As it reads on paper, I will say I'm the least financial finance person, you know, you, you've ever met. I view myself as a creative, like at you know at, at its core, that's how I view myself as a creative. And my the way I've found I can have an impact on organizations that I'm a part of and really leave my mark on the world is through the finance lens. But ultimately, how I view myself is is really more of, you know, I just, I love to create. Yeah, I think so. I was thinking about exactly what you said, that on paper, so far, finance guy type of thing. Uh, but I but I, I agree with you. It doesn't, I don't think it really tells a complete picture of who Jawad Hassan really is and what motivates you. Uh, you've also written a book, uh, What They Didn't Tell Me About Building Resilience as a Leader and Building Teams You Can Trust. Uh, and this became an Amazon bestseller and was featured in Entrepreneur Magazine. And you have a creative side, which you just mentioned, which is expressed through your Light Mountain Creative, producing books and independent movies, but also Light Mountain Capital, which invests in startup businesses, including Free Power, mentioned earlier, and Light Mountain Craft, which provides executive advisory and professional development services. So you have lots of energy. And is the Light Mountain, so tie this together as a, as a person who's experienced uh, and continue. So it continues to evolve through this sort of firsthand. Walk us through that a bit. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, for a, a large part of my career, I had sort of the standard trajectory where I, you know, I was at GE for 13 years, uh, was a divisional CFO three different times. And then I left in 2014 to go be a private equity backed CFO. And then after that, I went to Axon, did the public company thing. 
and in 2021 had an opportunity to invest in free power some of free power's origins its founders have ties to axon and that's how i got connected with them and i was really enamored with this idea of investing in a business you know and, and not only that but i wanted to be very purposeful about how i did that and set up something that i thought could lead to a broader investment portfolio and so i created light mountain at the time in 2021 and that's how i invested in free power the idea was that for me i wanted to i think everyone's dream to some degree is to be their own boss and i viewed light mountain as you know the, the springboard for that uh, and really the 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 avenue for like you know to be creative and so initially it started with just an investment in free power and then over time i realized look this there's more i want to do here my book was released in 2021 as well and my son has released a book as well you know through that and i, I have another book that I've got, I'm working on the film, you know, I've, I've always been a, a big movie buff and had an opportunity to help finance a film that we're taking out to festivals now. And there's some other projects I'm looking at there. So it just, the idea was I wanted Light Mountain to be something that I could basically use for all my different, you know, creative outlets. And ultimately I was doing that for, but I left Axon last year and was doing this for, I took a president role at Free Power, but I was also kind of standing up these other ventures. And I got to uh, offer pad by way of one of the parents who is at my kid's school. We've known each other for six years. He's the chief legal officer at OfferPad. And I'd followed his journey over to OfferPad and watched him go public, was fascinated with the business, but didn't really feel like it was something I wanted to do. And then I met the CEO a few months ago and got to know him as well. Actually, it was about a year ago. And more I learned the, about the company and their mission and what they're trying to do and also what they're struggling with. I felt like this is exactly the kind of thing I can come in and, and help with. I, I feel like they haven't historically done a great job selling their vision to investors. Uh, I do consider myself a storyteller, right? At, you know, at, at, at really, if you want to get down to the, the heart of what I view as my creative uh, you know, sort of strength, it's storytelling. And, and so that's where I felt like I could add value. Also, like, again, with you know, building high-performing teams, I felt like they had a good team in place, but I could come in and maybe with, with stronger leadership help supercharge, you know, supercharge them. And so I see a company, you know, the other thing I love about OfferPad is that real estate is the largest asset class in the world. And from a finance perspective, I love a good TAM and I love a big TAM, right? It just means lots of to grow. And so for me, I looked at this and saw a lot of opportunity and decided to join full-time. I'm trying to think of the transition from GE and ever-growing responsibilities and a company that's renowned for its executive training uh, and Six Sigma and all of the, you know, the, the, the stories about GE to smaller companies, but with more responsibilities. So tell us about something that you still carry with you from your time uh, at GE. My very first day on the job at GE, somebody handed me a laminated business card. And on the back of it were written GE's values. And I can still remember to this day, okay, 22 years later, I can still remember it was the four E's, energy, energize, edge, and execution. Okay. It's like your personal energy, what you bring to work every day, how you energize others, uh, the edge that you show, the ability to you know make tough decisions, and then execution. And really, execution was table stakes, right? You have to show up and, and do your job every day because people are counting on you. 
And that was it. Those were GE's values for a long time. And, you know, they had everyone carry them around. So what, what gave you some of the confidence to pivot from, from that journey to this more portfolio type of career? So my answer to this question, Christopher, would be the same regardless of the audience. And really, it was Sloan. It was my experience at MIT. I went to MIT in the executive program, and the idea was to go do this for a couple of years, differentiate myself relative to my peers, you know, maybe augment my, my learning a little bit, and then come back, and I was going to spend the rest of my career at GE. I really enjoyed my time there. And while I was at Sloan, I just got bit by the bug. I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I, you know, more than anything, I really I wanted to have a bigger impact on the world and, and leverage my skills and talents in a way that I could have a broader impact. Um, I do, you know, for a long time, I've, I've tended to have this like giant ticking clock in the back of my head where I recognize there's only so much time that all of us have here. And I want to maximize my impact while I'm here. And it just became increasingly clear to me that my scope of impact would have been limited within a company like GE. And I wanted to go out, you know, and start to have that impact felt in, in different places. And that's one of the great things about joining a smaller organization. So when I went to Market Track in 2014, much, much smaller company. But as as CFO for the entire company, my scope of impact was much broader. And that was the first time I also had a function that I owned other than finance. I also owned the HR function and uh, legal as well. And that trend has continued. Like, you know, at Axon, I had multiple functions, you know, at OfferPad, it's the same thing. So I just, I love having an impact across an organization. So what, is there anything that you learned at Sloan, or is there a course that you took that really sticks with you and you and you, you come back to as a foundational, I guess, thinking process? Yeah, there are a few. There, there are a few. I, I'd say organizational processes was was a really interesting one, just to kind of you know the different lenses that you that you view you know your environment through. And I think I always kind of knew that intuitively, but to have it structured, and that's one of the great things about Sloan is that just the mental models you get just stay with you forever, and they're so powerful. Even to this day, I still every every day I, I I think about how the most important part and maybe the most difficult part of answering any question is how you frame it. And so, a big part of my day every day when we're in meetings, talking with executives, board members, investors, whatever it is, I want to make sure whatever discussion we're having, it's framed the right way. Uh, and that's how I really view my role is making sure we frame it right up front, and then you're having the right discussion. Otherwise, it's a lot of wasted energy and wasted motion. And I'd say you know. Another one was negotiations, actually. It was in some ways very, very tactical, but it just speaks to the human psychology that's involved in, in everything you do. And actually today, I don't read a lot of business books. I mostly read books about human psychology and how the mind works. There are a couple of great books that I recommend. One is called You Are Not So Smart. And the second, this follow-up, the sequel is You Are Now Less Dumb. And they're basically a <laughs> compendium uh, a collection of cognitive biases. And that's another thing for me. I also, you know, every day I show up to work and in, in all my meetings, in all my one-on-ones, I'm I'm looking for and listening for cognitive biases. And everyone has them, right? You can't avoid them. I, I have them as well. I'm not immune to that. But just being aware of them, I think also helps you very quickly get to what people's motivations may be also, you know, where, how you can steer a discussion to make sure that you're getting to the right answer. I think that's an, another thing that I took away from, from Sloan was always making sure you get to the right answer. I think 
and, and now the way I articulate it, I've sort of learned this over the years, right? There's, there's three things that I focus on. One is always work hard, right? Just that work ethic has been instilled in me from much from childhood. Always do the right thing. And this is a really big theme at GE, just operating with integrity. And then the third one now is always get to the right answer. And that one's probably the toughest because everyone can work hard. Everyone can control their own work ethic. Everyone can control doing the right thing, right? There's a, there's a very clear line. Everyone knows it, right? You don't want to cross that line. Uh, but the third one, getting to the right answer is really hard because it, it, it requires you to admit when you're wrong. And a lot of people can't do that. You know, you not only have to admit when you're wrong, but even to get to the point where you can admit that you're wrong, where you're maybe not right about something, you have to have enough experience to know what the right answer is. And this is another thing I see now, you know, I'm now in, into the third decade of my career and I see people starting off and I'm sure I was like this at one point too. They're just so confident that they know the right answer. They're so confident that they're right. And, you know, they've got maybe five years, maybe 10 years of experience under their belt. And they just, they just don't have enough life experience in general. You know, when you're 30 years old, you know, like you may think you've seen it all, you know it all, just because you've read every, you know, Substack and every every post that out there uh, that you could possibly read, and you're like, okay, great, I'm ready to go conquer the world. You're you're not, you're not right, and this is where you really need to lean on people with more experience. And so, you know, that's another thing that I've just sort of sort of crystallized from Sloan was was really being inquisitive and humble enough to ask the tough questions to get to the right answer. Yeah. So how do you, so uh, when you said with the third one being uh, get the right answer, what about the process of asking the right questions? How do you go about that? Yeah, that's, that's the really, you know, the core of getting to the right answer is, is asking the right questions. And again, going back to framing, you know, the question the right way here, I'm very much a principle and mission driven person. So if you go to my website, you go to juadasan.com, the very first thing is you, you see my North star. Okay. And when I'm in interviews, the first question I ask everybody is, what is your North Star? What are you driving towards in your career? And you'd be surprised how many people struggle with the question. You know, I think a lot of people don't think about it. But for me, it just it guides everything. You have to have a North Star as an individual. You have to have a North Star as a, as a company, as an organization. Whatever it is that you're doing, you have to have something that you're driving towards. You can change it. You can update it. You can refresh it. You can overhaul it, whatever you want. But you always have to have one. And the analogy I like to use is if you were walking down the street and somebody pulled up next to you in a car and they roll their window down and they ask you, Christopher, could I please get directions? The first thing you're going to ask them is, where are you going? And if they can't answer that question, how are you supposed to help them? And it's the same thing for an individual or for a company. If you can't articulate where you're headed, how is your organization supposed to get aligned with you? How are other people supposed to help you? So the North Star is really important because it just guides everything that you do. And when you're now trying to get to the right answer, it should be in service of driving towards that North Star, right? You have to always keep in mind what your core values are, what your principles are. It's like uh, your personal mission, the mission statement right. of an organization. Yeah. So I see, I see here that your North Star is to build and develop high-performing teams that will drive transformative societal change. Yes. So there's, there's right. a... Profit component, but also, but it really is, it really talks about transformation and, and, uh, it kind of a, there's a moral element to it. 
Yeah, you know, I would say I never had a profit element in mind when I wrote that. Uh, the two aspects, one is a high-performing teams and the second one is, you know, transformative societal change because I found that I've built high-performing teams, but I've done that in environments where you're not really having much of an impact on society. And for me, that's just, that's not fulfilling. And so I, it's the two together that are really important. I also serve on the board of, a, of my children's school. It's a nonprofit. And I think about that as well. Like, you know, when we think about when we're in our board meetings and we're having discussions about the future of the school, there's no profit involved there, but we very much want to put the right team on the field and help the head of the school be high-performing and build high-performing teams. And so- So what was it at Sloan that that, tr- that flipped you from going back to a large corporation, which had opportunities for further growth, right? Uh, to saying, you know what, I'm going to go off uh, and, and really- go a less beaten path? You know, it was really the energy. You get on campus and you see the energy. What the, One of the first things, actually was, I think the very first day on campus, we uh, got addressed by the president who said very clearly, I'll never forget this. MIT is an institution, right? We take the I part of our name very seriously. And you are here as part of a broader group of people that are looking to learn and advance technology. And you know, you know, there are more graduate students than, than undergrad, and you look across all the, the variety of, of graduate programs that are there. It what I loved about being at Sloan is that there was, you know, yes, distinctions between okay, I'm here for business or I'm here for electrical engineering or you know, nanotechnology, but there wasn't, you know, a lot of I'd say sort of distinction between uh, an MBA versus an EMBA versus a Sloan fellow, right? We were all there for a common cause. And I love that, right? I, I love that aspect of it. And, and then you get to have discussions with folks and think about, okay, what brought you here? Why, why are you here? What are you looking to do you know, with, with your career, with your life? You know, what, what's the impact that you're looking to make? And having those discussions with people, you realize like, look, there's just so much that I can do, so much I, I want to do. And then you, and just GE looks smaller and smaller, <laughs> by the day. And I just felt like, look, I, I want to go out there. And for me, it was always taking another CFO role and, and another one after that. There were more stepping stones to to doing something else down the road. And so how, when you get up in the morning or you start your week, how do you plan your week given that you've got this role uh, at OfferPad and you also have this creative uh, vehicles? You know, it was one of the things I talked about with with Brian Bear, the CEO at OfferPad before I joined. I said, look, I've, I've got a lot of things I'm involved in and they're very important to me. Obviously, I know OfferPad is my number one job and that's going to be a key focus, but I am on another public company board. I'm still on the board at Free Power. I'm on the board of, you know, my kid's school and that's important to me. And then I have these other outlets that uh, you know, I also want to continue to invest time in. And he was really supportive of that, right? Just having that alignment and being having that understanding up front was was very key. I live by my calendar. If it's not on my calendar, then it basically, you know, doesn't exist. And when I, when you think that way, you realize, okay, there's so much time that you can, uh, you know, you can use in a given day. Everyone's got the same 24 hours, right? How you use that time is just so key. And so, you know, I, I use the screen time on my phone. I make sure I keep myself, I give myself like 15 minutes a day of like social media, um, you know, and I, I just try to limit where I'm, I'm not being productive. I, 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 I have this like sort of informal counter in my head of, how am I like basically being creative versus consuming? 
And how does um, so th- the the creative work that you're doing? You've got this movie that you mentioned that you're starting to shop around to the film festivals, I suppose. Tell us about how that came about. And- yeah, so my my older son, he's uh, ten years old now, but he's been in theater and local theater for a couple of years, and he had uh, uh, one of his one of his friends in the program. Uh, his uh, her mother was was trying to basically start this production company here in Arizona. Uh, she's a, a real estate scion and she wants to break out from the shadow of her very successful father. And so she started this, this production company and she asked us if we wanted to join her in this uh, investing in this one film. So Lily Singh, she's a, a Canadian comedian. She's an actor. She started on YouTube and has had quite a bit of success over the past few years. She had a late night show on NBC she was a star of the Muppets show on uh, on Disney recently and has been a, a number of different things over the past few years. And she's now trying to get her first feature-length film made. And she wanted creative control over the project and so wanted to try to raise financing through uh, a venue other than the typical Hollywood financing route. And so that's how she found uh, this woman, Anita, who started the Camelback Productions Company. And that's how you know we got attached to that. And... So we ended up investing alongside Anita in this program because we we liked Lily. We wanted to support a South Asian, um, you know, comedian, and just in general, we were very very curious about this side of making films. So, like like I said, I've been a movie buff my whole life. Uh, when I was at GE, I had a stint in Universal Studios. So for a while, GE owned NBC, which owned Universal Studios, and I in 2006 I did a stint out in LA auditing the film business and was just fascinated by the, you know, the business of, of uh, movie making. And so uh, this was just an accelerated version of that, just, you know, way more in depth. I got a crash course in what it means to, to produce and finance a film. Uh, and it, it was fascinating. I'm just a very curious person. And so I just loved learning it, you know, leaning, just learning about, um, you know, a production bond and, um, you know, a, a camera and like how the different, pieces come together and you know what it means like the executive producer relative to a producer meeting the director hearing her vision you know for the story meeting lily and like what she was looking to accomplish just the entire process was really fascinating so the film shot over the summer and it's now in post-production and we've actually mostly wrapped it started shopping it to different festivals and um hoping that it's going to sell sometime next year so in one of your blog posts, you asked the question, you know, should I get an MBA? So you went through and in your, uh, and in your blog post, you talk about the, your thinking process. How did you decide on Sloan, uh, given all the different business schools that are out there? Yeah, it's interesting. At the time, I had just, I was CFO for a division. We had spun off into a joint venture with Microsoft. And that process of standing up a company from scratch, working with external consultants and lawyers, you know, bankers, et cetera, I realized in that process that th- that was part of what went into you know me leaving GE, where I realized I'm not going to learn everything I need to know. Hey, I should probably go augment my learnings with an MBA. Uh, up until that point in time, I actually felt like I I was learning everything I needed to learn at GE, and an MBA wasn't really going to do anything for me. Um, and and at that point in time, I realized you know what, actually, no, there are some things I probably can go learn. So that was that was part of it. But the other the other thing is that you know, you have to also think about you have to be purposeful about what is the MBA going to bring to you, right? It can't just be 
uh, a check the box exercise. I've met so many people and I actually, I was like this at one point where I viewed an MBA like a panacea where I said, you know what? I'm not happy with where I am in my career. My career growth, my advancement has stalled. I don't want to be in finance anymore. or I don't want to be in marketing anymore. So I'm just going to go get an MBA and it's going to solve all my problems. And if that's your mindset, you are 100% going to fail or you're not going to be happy right? because that's not how it works. You have to be very clear about what the MBA is going to do for you specifically. And when you do that, then you get very purposeful about which school that you choose. And for me, when I looked at all the different schools, the course that did it for me, the one that sold me on Sloan was System Dynamics. That was, for me, the most powerful course that it not only got me to Sloan and got me really interested in the program, you know, but you know, as an economics major, I just love understanding how systems work and how they fit and you know, being able to think at a macro level and going down to the micro level. You know, System Dynamics was, was an evolution of that. And so for me, I felt like, look, I can go to Sloan and the things that I'm looking to, the holes that I'm looking to fill in my experience set, I can get that at Sloan. That's great. Well, I think with that, I want to thank uh, Joada San, Sloan Class of 2014, for joining us on this episode of Sloan's Talking with Sloan. As you can learn more about Jawad and connect with him on his website, jawadhassan.com. That's J-A-W-A-D-A-H-S-A-N.com. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks again for having me, Christopher. My pleasure. Sloanies Talking with Sloanies is produced by the Office of External Relations at MIT Sloan School of Management. You can subscribe to this podcast by visiting our website, mitsloan.mit.edu slash alumni, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Support for this podcast comes in part from the Sloan Annual Fund, which provides essential, flexible funding to ensure that our community can pursue excellence. Make your gift today by visiting giving.mit.edu slash Sloan.